Good morning. We are starting a brand new series uh, this morning called Overwhelmed, and, and we're really going to look at, over the next few weeks, uh, how we can win over worry. I think worry is something that we all, one time or another, some of us very often, we really battle with. And, and so that's what this series is all about. Uh, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? And uh, boy, this is a fantastic morning. This is our launch Sunday, and uh, we now are one church in two locations, uh, Hopewell and Poughkeepsie, and it's just a historic day uh, in the life of our church. And, and I thought just as we launch uh, our second campus, um, that this would just be a real practical series that we could be in really for the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to be in this series for six weeks uh, talking about how we can win over worry. And, and so as we start off uh, this morning, just a question. Uh, do you know anyone really these days who isn't stressed uh, or worried about something or someone? Uh, sometimes life can just get really overwhelming and we don't see it coming and it's just like, one phone call, uh, one email, something like that, and all of a sudden, boom, we feel quite overwhelmed uh, with everything going on around us. Uh, and the question oftentimes is, where's God in the middle of this? You know, when it, when it feels like we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, where is God? And, and what does God think about uh, what we're going through and, and, and how we're worried? And, and we'll look at some of the ways and kind of take one step at a time through this series uh, of really what the Bible says, God says in his word, of how we can win over worry on a regular basis. And so maybe you find yourself today worried about something. Maybe it's uh, you're hearing rumors at work that they're laying off people, or you're experiencing a struggle in your marriage, uh, or you're, you're trying as hard as you can to have your first child. Or you're graduating from college in, in just a few months and uh, with a degree and you've got thousands and tens of thousands of dollars in student loans and it doesn't look like there are any job possibilities in sight. Or, or maybe it's that call from the doctor that says you need to come back into the office just as soon as possible. We need to talk. Or, or maybe it's that you're having a hard time and you're worried about putting the past in the past, past sin, maybe past struggles, past mistakes. Or maybe you've lost someone really, really close to you and you're just worried, how is this even going to work out? How am I going to go on from here? We, we all experience worry or sometimes we call it stress. You know, and a little bit of stress is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, a little, some stress can actually help you. It can be positive. Uh, for instance, if you're a student, uh, the stress of knowing there's an exam on, on Monday motivates you or should motivate you uh, to study really, really hard. Uh, even leading up to the launch uh, of our new site, there have been a lot of things that I've had plenty of opportunity to worry about or to stress about, and you can get overwhelmed or we can look to God's Word for practical wisdom of how we can really win over worry. And one of the places we experience a lot of worry, oftentimes and stress or pressure, is on the job. Uh, in fact, a recent study just came out last year, some pretty uh, shocking statistics here. Look at a couple of these. Uh, first of all, uh, work caused, causes stress for 83% of Americans. 83% of Americans say work causes me stress. And again, that word stress can really be translated into worry. An estimated 40% 
40% of workers say they're unproductive because of stress. 40%. That, that, that's a huge number. It says, the stress on my job is affecting my productivity. Each year, stress costs an estimated, look at this, $300 billion for absenteeism, turnover, and lost productivity. $300 billion stress-related loss in business. Absolutely shocking. And then this also came out last year, some studies about employee sentiment in the last year. Look at the first one here. Employee sentiment, 14% felt like striking a coworker last year. How about that? 14% said, yeah, I just wanted to pop someone while I was on the job. Now, of course, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person sitting next to you. But anyway, 14%. Look at the next one, uh, employee sentiment. 25% felt like screaming. Probably those that got struck by the other employee felt like screaming there. But, but 25% employee sentiment. 18% have experienced some form of threat or verbal intimidation in the last year. Threat or verbal intimidation. Again, probably from that 14% that felt like striking their coworker, like you better run right now or I'm going to really pop you one. Absolutely shocking. And, and then this next one. Em, again, employee sentiment in the last year, 25% said stress reduces their memory and their focus. 25%. And, and again, stress is just another name for what? Worry. Feeling overwhelmed. That's why I think this series is so important for us. So here's the question this morning. What's overwhelming you? What's overwhelming you right now? What is it that even as you're sitting here on Sunday, you're saying, I don't have time for this. There's too much going on. What is overwhelming you? Or what was just overwhelming you that you just got out of? Or, or maybe you're, you're here today and like, I, I, I don't feel overwhelmed by anything. Hold on. It may be tomorrow. I mean, that's just life, isn't it? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at different areas of our life that it's very easy for us to get overwhelmed. We're going to look at overdrive. What does it mean, overdrive? The pace of life. You, you know, one of the things that I've learned is if I'm not wise with the pace that I live, with the schedule that I keep, every one of us can just burn the candle at both ends. But at some point, that catches up to us. That really catches up to us. And so sometimes we're overwhelmed because of the pace of life. We're going to talk about that when we talk about overdrive. And then overestimated. Overestimated. Sometimes we have tremendous stress and we feel overwhelmed because of relationships. We, we've, we've put too much, we've, we've invested in a relationship thinking that was going to bring me true happiness and joy. And it didn't. And so we've overestimated in relationships. We're going to look at that as well in this series. And then overspent. You know, uh, it's January, right? And so all those bills are, are coming due that from where we overspent over the holidays. Financial pressure. So easy to get overwhelmed when it comes to financial decisions that we made at Christmas or we made a few months ago, and now all of a sudden, here are the bills. Overspent. Then overstimulated. Overstimulate. Our culture today is so constantly stimulated on our phones, on our televisions, on the internet, always so stimulated that that actually, sometimes we've got to learn how to just shut off the noise. 
shut off the noise. And that can be incredibly overwhelming to us. And so we're going to take one week in this series and we're going to talk about overstimulated and the changes that you and I can make in our lives. And then sometimes we just come to the end of ourselves and it's just over. We just feel like it's over. And even as Christians, we, we get depressed. And a large percentage of, of believers and followers of Jesus Christ battle with depression. And even to the point sometimes of suicidal thoughts. That's what we're going to talk about next week. And we're just calling that over. What, what do we do when, when it's not just worry, but it goes even deeper than that and into depression? And I'm, I'm going to be sharing some things out of my own personal life because, yeah, I, I'm a pastor and, and coming up on 25 years of pastoring, and, and there are real times that I've had some, some, some really down times. I don't know a pastor who doesn't. I don't know a human being, an adult, that doesn't at times struggle. And so that's what we're going to look at next week. Over this series, overdrive, overestimate, uh, overestimated, overspent, overstimulated, and then over. And so I want to give you just really the big idea uh, for this message today, and, and we're going we're gonna to look at this a number of different ways, but this is the one thought. If you, if you don't leave with anything else today, leave with this understanding, this first step, if you will, uh, for when we get overwhelmed, and here it is. When you're overwhelmed, what's true is more important than what you feel is true. When you're overwhelmed, when I'm overwhelmed, what is true, what is really the truth is much more important than what we feel is true. It's so easy for our feelings to really take us in a direction that's not healthy for us. And, and so this is the big, big idea, the big statement today. When you're overwhelmed, when I'm overwhelmed, what's true is more important than what we feel. And as we read through the pages of Scripture, it's, it's really surprising uh, how many men and women really struggled with being overwhelmed. In fact, just an example here in the message today. King David. You know, maybe you know King David, uh, that Bible story of, of David and Goliath. David went through a very, very dark time in his life after he had been anointed to be the heir. He was the heir apparent of the king of Israel. And he went through, right after the time there uh, of David and Goliath, he went through a very, very dark period in his life. And, and David was one that really struggled with being overwhelmed. He was hunted. In fact, he was a wanted man. The king, King Saul, wanted to kill him. And, and so during that time of darkness, David wrote a number of what we call psalms, which were songs or, or poems, if you will. They're, they're psalms in the Old Testament. And I want to look at one of those that he wrote in a very dark period. And David can begin to get us on the right track of understanding this idea. When you're overwhelmed, what's true is more important than what you feel is true. So let's look at Psalm 142, the 142nd Psalm. And I just want to read through the whole thing and listen to these words as David is just really crying out to God. And see if this doesn't sound like someone who's really overwhelmed. The first one, he says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I cry out to God. I plead for the Lord's mercy. David understood it's not good to keep these things bottled up inside. And so many times, you know, that's kind of like the, the default that I go to. I'm just going to mm, keep it all bottled up inside. 
David understood, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. And then he goes on in the next verse. He says, I pour out my complaints before him and I tell him all my troubles. What a beautiful picture of a real relationship with God. He says, I pour out all my complaints before him. And then verse 3, when I'm overwhelmed, there it is. That, that's the key, that's, that's where really this whole idea uh, of this series is coming from. When I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way that I should turn. When, when you and I get overwhelmed, God is the one who alone knows what it is that we really need. Not, not our spouse, not our children, not, not our buddies, not our friends. David understood, when I'm overwhelmed, you, God, you alone know the way that I should turn. And then he goes on, he says, wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. And then he says, I look for someone to come and help me. And you know, that's, that's so easy, isn't it? We look for someone that's going to change it for us. We're gonna talk about that again, overestimated in a relationship that, that we're really putting pressure on someone else to be for us, what only God can be for us. And, and so he says, I look to someone to come and help me but no one gives me a passing thought. Boy, you talk about being down. I mean, David is really keeping it real here uh, in, in this psalm, verse four. And then in verse five, he says, no one will help me, no one cares a bit what happens to me. Boy, this is, a, this is an A1, 24-karat gold pity party. And you know the thing about a pity party, right? There's only one person invited, me. That's it, only one invited. And he goes on and he says, then, watch the shift now in verse five. Then I pray to you, O Lord, I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Wow. Is it no wonder that God actually said of King David, he's a man after my own heart. He says, you're it. You're all I really want in life. And he goes on, he says, hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. And then in verse seven, bring me out of the prison so I can thank you. Bring me out of the prison so I can thank you. And then he goes on, he says, the godly will crowd around me for you are good to me. You know, when you and I get overwhelmed, the thing we forget the most is that God is really good to us. God is really good to us. And that's one of the ways that we can know where, where worries are becoming too much, you know, that we lose sight of the fact that God is really good to us. In fact, uh, this is what it looks like when you and I get overwhelmed. The problem gets huge. The problem is all that we can see and we lose sight of the promises that God has made to us. And David said, you alone are what I really need. You, you alone are good to me. The godly will crowd around me for you are good to me. This is the perspective of someone who's overwhelmed. The problem is huge and we forget about the promises of God. But what we're gonna learn over the next few weeks is how to turn that around because this is the way that it should look. The problem is small when we focus on the promises of God. 
the, prom, the problem begins to get very, very small when you and I focus on the promises that God has made to us. And that, as you read through, and isn't that beautiful, as you read through Psalm 142, you can just see how that shift takes place in David's heart, in David's mind, in David's feelings, in David's emotions. When he began to focus on the promises of God and not focusing on the problem. When we focus on the problem, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. See, here's the thing. Your feelings, my feelings, will ultimately take us in one direction and the truth is really found in another one. My feelings, when I start getting overwhelmed and full of worry, my feelings will take me in the opposite direction of what the truth really is. This is the truth, God's promises. God's promise is bigger than any problem you and I will ever face. And when we get overwhelmed, our feelings hijack the truth. Our feelings hijack the truth, the reality of what's really happening. We forget God's promises and we focus in on the problem. Maybe I, I, I could put it this way. God's promises trump your problem. God's promise trumps my problem as well. Any problems that I face. Isn't it true you're my, my feelings love to go down that path which I like to call the what if path. What if this happens? What if that happens? What would happen if, 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 if? And I heard a wise person tell me one time, God doesn't give you the grace for all the what ifs. He only gives you the grace for the what is. That's it. And isn't that what worry is? Worry is all of the what ifs. All of the this could happen, this, all the possibilities. God doesn't give us the grace for that. And, and he does when we focus on his promises that we find in his word instead of focusing in on the problem. That doesn't mean the problem's not there, but it's just which one really has our attention. Does God have our attention? Or all the what ifs and all the remote possibilities here it is again, or, or let me put it in a form of a question. What do you think your life would be like if you let your feelings and your emotions rule your daily life? What do you think a day would be like if you just decided, you know what, I'm just, whatever I feel, I'm just gonna go with that. That, that what, whatever I'm feeling, whatever emotion I have, I'm just gonna say, that's, I'm just gonna assume that's perfect, that's right, and I'm gonna go with that. We'd make a mess of things in a hurry, wouldn't we? Basically, what we're describing there in this question, what do you think your life would be like if you let your feelings and emotions rule you daily? We're talking about a two-year-old. That's a two-year-old right there. Just feelings and emotions. I want this, I want that, I don't like this, I don't like that, not the blue cup, I want the red cup. <laughs> Just led by our emotions, led by our feelings. And, and I know kind of what the pushback is here. The, the objection here is, well, you know, Greg, you don't know my problem. You, you don't know my problem. I mean, that, that's easy for you to say, you know, Mr. Pastor Man, Pastor Guy. You know, I, I'm sure you've never even faced anything difficult in your life. Mm, I have, and I'll share some of that next week when we talk about over and depression and, and things like that. The objection is you don't know my problem, and, and what I would say to that objection is this. The reality is not you don't know my problem, you don't know your God. You don't know your God. 
You don't realize how big God really is. That's who's on your side. And he wants to help you. And he wants to give you strength. And he is the one you can depend upon. David understood that. He's you, you and you alone are the one that I want. You've been good to me, even in the midst of all this. And so I think that's one of the things that's so important to us as we walk through this series over the next few weeks is to get to know our God in a better way and in a deeper way. Another fellow who had plenty of opportunity in the Bible, not just David, and I said there's the scriptures just replete with people, just men and women struggling with things like this that we're talking about. In the New Testament, there's this guy by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. God used him in an incredible way. Uh, we, we looked at him in our past series called Trailblazers. He was a tremendous trailblazer for the Christian faith. As I said, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And, and at one point, he, he's kind of saying, uh, you think you got problems? You think you got struggles? Let me share with you what I've been through personally. Look, look at this list in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's talking about what he personally has had to endure and go through doing God's will. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 23 says, Are they servants of Christ? He's, saying, he's comparing their, uh, people at the time in the church of Corinth were saying, well, you know, Paul's not really all that he, you know, people make him out to be. These other folks over here, they're the ones, that, they're, they're superior. God's using them more. Look at what he says. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. He says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Now why is that significant? Because 39 lashes, not 40, they had determined Back in ancient times, 39 lashes was all that a man could withstand before he actually died. So they would go up to, in extreme punishment, one lash short. 39 lashes. Paul says, happened to me five times. Five times. Jesus was whipped 39 lashes, and then they crucified him. Happened to Paul five times. 39 lashes. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He's not talking about smoking. He's, he's talking about literally pelted with stones, left for dead, where they pick up stones and the crowd would throw them at a person until they were dead. He was left for dead. He was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced uh, dangers in cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I've faced dangers from men who claim to be believers, but really aren't. He's been betrayed. He's had people stab him in the back. That's what he's saying here. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and I've been thirsty. And I've often gone without food 
something that many of us have never experienced before, when you want to eat and there's nothing to eat and you just go another day without it. Paul says, yeah, I've been there before. Not because I chose not to eat. I didn't have it as an option to eat. And he goes on and says, I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. You get the idea here, Paul's been through some stuff. If there was ever a guy who had a right to be overwhelmed and say, okay, it's all right. You know, go, go ahead and just, just throw in the towel there, Paul. If that was you, how do you think you'd be feeling? If you went through all of that and you knew at the same time it wasn't because you, something bad you did, it was because of all the good you were doing, for God's sake, that you went through all that. Paul knew what you and I need to learn. When you're overwhelmed, what's true is more important than what you feel is true. Paul exemplified this. Paul lived this out. When we're overwhelmed, what's true is more important than what we feel is true. And, and, and the next passage that we're gonna look at, the Apostle Paul wrote this as well. And, and he wrote this because he understood what really was true. Not what he felt was true, but he wrote this when he, and we see here an insight into the idea here that we're talking about, Paul focusing on the promises of God instead of the problems that he faced. Look at what he says, the truth. No matter what the situation is, this is the truth. Not what I feel is the truth, but this is the truth. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Paul says, he went through all that, but can anything separate us from Christ's love? And then it's almost like he just stops and he says, just so you really understand what I'm talking about, let me give you some illustrations. And he goes on. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? He's asking a rhetorical question here. If we have calamity, maybe you're looking back in your life and saying, man, it just looks like one calamity after another. Paul says, that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He goes on, he says, or persecuted. Maybe, you know, maybe you're that one Christian student and everyone makes fun of you because of your faith in Christ. You're being persecuted because of your faith. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Or you're hungry. Maybe you don't have everything that you feel like you need and, and, and it seems like everyone else, God's blessing them more and, and man, I'm just trying to scrape together to put food on the table. Does that mean God doesn't love you? No, not at all. Or destitute, rejected, or in danger, or threatened. Maybe that workplace threat that we talked about, uh, the percentage of Americans that faced that last year. Or, or even with death, we, we face all those things. Can any of these things separate us? Then he goes on in verse 37 and he says it this way. No. Despite all these things, I love this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. We need to focus not on what those things that are overwhelming us, but focus on overwhelming victory. That's what Jesus Christ has bought for you and me. 
over, let's be overwhelmed by the victory that Jesus wants to give us in the midst of all those things, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. And it goes on, it says, who loved us, and I am convinced, here it is, look at this, nothing, nothing, does that mean something? No, that means nothing. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. No matter what you are facing, no matter what I'm ever going through, nothing can separate us from God's love. That's the promise that Paul kept the focus on instead of the problems. And he listed all those problems, but his focus was not on the problems, his focus was on the promise. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And and Paul here, he's kind of saying, you know, I know what the pushback is here. So let me make myself really, really clear about this when I say nothing can separate us from the love of God. He goes on, and he puts it this way, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons. You know, I, don't, I don't know what you think about all that. It's, it, it's right there in the Bible, you know, but, but maybe just, uh, I don't know about that demon stuff, you know. That's okay. Paul says they can't even do it. Whether you believe it or not, they can't even separate you from the love of God. It goes on and says, neither our fears for today nor, and there it is, our worries about tomorrow can separate us from the love of God. God doesn't stop loving us because we worry. We lose sight of him when we worry. But he doesn't stop loving us. And he goes on and says, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing at all. He goes on and he says, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate us. Not a loss of a job, not a loss of a friend, not, not any of the things that we get so focused in on, those problems. None of those problems ever trump the promise of God that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So here it is again. When you're overwhelmed, when you and I are overwhelmed, what is true is more important than what we feel is true. When I get overwhelmed and I begin to focus on the problem more than the promises of God, what is true is this, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Even, you know, all right, I'll be straight with you. I get like David sometime. Nobody cares about me. No one's gonna be here to help me. That there's no one that has ever felt the way that I feel. That's where I'm wrong when I start trusting my feelings and I believe my feelings are what's true. Instead of the reality is, what's true is this, God knows. And even in the midst of that problem, that test, that that challenge that I'm facing, it doesn't separate me from the love of God. That's the promise. And he is bigger than anything that I'll ever face. When you're overwhelmed, what's true is more important than what you feel. So here's, here's a question maybe you're asking today. 
What, what should I do? How can I really walk this thing out? What should I do? How can I really, you know, put uh, flesh and blood to this and, and live this out over the next week? Here it is. This week, don't focus on what you feel is true. Just, just decide, real simple, that first step of winning over worry. Just, just decide today, I'm not going to focus on what I feel is true, but instead, I'm going to focus on what is true. And you know what is true? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can. His promise trumps my problem all the time. See, here's the thing, and as I wind this message down, I, I hope you come back next week as we, we take the next step in winning over worry. But for the sake of our time together today, let me put it this way. Today is not the end of the story. You just don't like this particular chapter that you find yourself in. This, this is not the end of the story. In fact, I heard recently someone said when, when all of a sudden you come up against a circumstance or surprise, a situation you weren't anticipating, just throw your hands up and say, plot twist, keep going. Plot twist. <laughs> I think I'm going to start using that myself. Because what does that mean? That's not the end of the story. It just means all of a sudden in the story, didn't see that coming, but this is not the end. This is just a plot twist. I'm still going to keep my eyes on the promise, not start focusing in on the problem. And so, when all you can see is the problem, it's time to look at the promise. When it feels like the walls are just caving in around you, and you're losing sight, and it feels like you're gasping, and you, you're just you're about to go under... It's time to stop looking at the problem. And it's really time to start focusing in on the promise. When you and I are overwhelmed, what's true is more important than what our feelings tell us is true. Let's bow our heads now and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together to study your word, and we're thankful that your word, the scripture, the Bible, instructs us and gives us practical ways of how we can win over worry in times in our lives when we're overwhelmed. Help us, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit this week, Lord, not to focus on what we feel is true, but, Lord, to focus on what is true. And what is true is that death and demons and fears and worries and hell, there's nothing that can separate us from your love. You're always with us. You always care for us. And you want to help us. And so, Father, just as we've looked at David and Paul today, Lord, may we take courage and be inspired, Lord, when, when it seems like the problem's too big, to focus on your promises not what we feel is true, but what is true and knowing that you'll lead us through no matter what we face. In Jesus' name, amen.